0: Good morning and welcome to Atheist Talk on KTNF AM 950, the progressive voice of Minnesota. Good morning to all of you joining us locally by radio and streaming online. We appreciate you tuning in. Today is Sunday, January 7th, 2018, and I'm your host, Hertsy Hertz. I'm here to talk with Stephanie Zavan, Mike Harbrick, and August Berkshire about the 10 years of Atheist Talk. Happy birthday, Atheist Talk! (laughs) Yay! Yay! This is an open conversation, and we welcome and encourage listener interaction with your phone calls to 952-946-6205, your emails to radio at mnatheist.org, or tweet us at at Atheist Talk. The phone number is only available when we are live, but you can always email, tweet, or Facebook us, whether we're live or you're listening to the podcast. Ten years ago, a group in Minnesota decided to add their voice to the local waves. Radio waves. We've had guests like Richard Dawkins, Andrew Torres, Greta Christina, Suna Jacoby, Marissa Alexa McCool, Amanda Knieff, and more. We've gone through, and We've gone on through thick and thin. In this time, we've had several people hold the reins, and today I've gathered a few of them to talk about their favorite, least favorite, and funniest moments here on Atheist Talk. A tradition that has followed Atheist Talk is the meeting at Cucumbers, which is this week, so please join us at 10.30. Mike, I think you might be the only one who doesn't show up. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, I was thinking about flying down or using my transporter, but I couldn't quite get it working this <sighs> morning.
0: Ah, those things are so buggy. All right. Well, Stephanie, Mike, August, good morning, and welcome to Atheist Talk.
2: Good morning, Hertzie. Thanks.
0: Thank you. So, August, I think we're going to start with you for a little bit, because how did this whole thing get started, this radio show?
3: Okay. Well, this station, KTNF, used to be part of the old Air America Network. Some of you uh, might remember that uh, Air America had people like Al Franken, Stephanie Miller, Tom Hartman, Rachel Maddow, Janine Garofalo. So it was a liberal uh, nationwide uh, network of uh, shows, stations. And uh, the Freedom From Religion Foundation in Madison, Wisconsin, in 2006 started a uh, the Free Thought Radio show, and it was carried on a lot of Air America stations, but it was not carried uh, in the Twin Cities. What? So we checked it out, and to have it on this station here would cost money. They would uh, sell the time slot. Freedom for Religion Foundation was getting their show broadcast free on most other Air America stations, so of course they went with the free. But I thought, boy, it would be nice to have an atheist radio show here, maybe Minnesota Atheists can help raise some money for them, get them on, Maybe we could even, in exchange for having raised some money, get a little portion of their show at the end to promote ourselves. As it turns out, that wouldn't have been possible. There's, it's a very uh, segmented show that they have. There's no way anybody could have tagged on to it. But still, uh, just to even have them on the radio would have been a cool thing. So I was talking to Dan Barker, who's one of the co-presidents of uh, Freedom From Religion Foundation, about this raising money to try to get them on. He says, well, if you guys are raising the money, why don't you do your own show? And I thought about it, and we have a lot of talent here in Minnesota. Yeah, why not? Why don't we? So we gathered together a bunch of people and uh, went for it.
0: Awesome. Well, I'm going to start with a very basic question after that. Wonder actually really good history lesson. Um, how did each of you get started and introduced like introduced to the radio show? Stephanie, do you want to start?
2: Actually, Mike should
0: start. Oh, Mike should he, start.
2: He has been with us much longer than I have. All right, Mike. Oh,
1: well, for some odd reason, August, um, without ever having hear hear me on the radio at all, thought that I might have a nice radio voice and he asked me to see if I wanted to do it. Um, as a host, because um, Bjorn Watland was doing it just a uh, film-in basis until we found a more permanent host. And so he asked me, and I thought, well, that'd be kind of exciting to try it out. And so um, I came in, sat in on a show while Bjorn hosted, and then I, and I said, well, yeah, I can do that. And so um, I agreed to be the host for a while. Um, and I'd been listening to it since its session, and he <laughs> probably one of the few callers in the call-in portion of the show. So I was glad to do it.
2: Awesome. And then a couple of years later, Mike came to me and was like, you have a good voice. (laughs) I think he might have been at that point a little tired of of doing as much of it as he was himself because we do have to get up on Sunday mornings when we would otherwise be sleeping in and come do it. So I started hosting and then every once in a while um, doing an interview. And these days I mostly interview when I do it. Well, actually, these days you mostly have me on to talk about something <laughs> else, but that's okay. We'll get back to interviewing. <laughs> August?
3: Uh, well, I had heard of, you know, the Free Thought Radio and I had heard of the Air America Network. So uh, put the two together and, uh, you know, Freedom from Religion Foundation didn't work, but we, you know, I was, I think I might have even been president of Minnesota Atheists at the time. And I just asked around and who wants to go for this, and we did. Um, nice we've had a lot of people over the years do some very important roles uh, i don't know if this is a high burnout uh position <laughs> but uh bruce honigford started out then we had bjorn watland uh, carl hancock mike hawbrick stephanie zavann and brian Billieu, uh Hertzie Hertz. Uh, hopefully you don't burn out anytime soon i haven't yet <laughs> <laughs> maddie love has done a lot of uh, great stuff for us yes
0: hi maddie <laughs> if you're listening, or when you're you're looking at this for the podcast. All right. I have to admit, actually, my introduction was being a guest on the show. And then a couple of friends and I, we were like, oh, we'll just take this one week. And then it was like, oh, we need someone to do the thing. And I was like, "Yeah, sure, why not? <laughs> mm-hmm. All right. So what, what was your first show,
1: Mike? The first show that I did um, as, as an interviewer uh, was... I decided it'd be kind of fun to do a promotion for the Beagle Project, which was a project to raise funds for the anniversary of the 150th anniversary of the publication of On the Origin of the Species. And uh, Karen and Peter from um, that project agreed to be on the show to talk about it. And one of the interesting things about it is that up until that point, we had generally had two topics per show because we thought that maybe. We kind of boring to talk about the same topic for about an hour. How do you keep guests going for that long? And so I broke it up. I had Peter on the, for the first segment of the show and Karen for the second segment of the show. And it worked out really well. It turned out to be a pretty good show, I thought. Um, but um, I got some things wrong. I had fully researched the way it should. But now, um, Peter and Karen were both glad to correct me gently while we were on the air. And, and, I, and I had fun with it.
2: Awesome. Stephanie? The first. Several interviews I did. I completely cheated because I interviewed people I already knew and talked to, um, which, you know, if you're thinking about getting into this, this is not a bad way to do it. Uh, The first show that I did was promoting a conference um, called Science Online, which doesn't exist anymore, but it was basically a conference where a bunch of people who are uh, were doing various things to um, communicate science using the internet which that was a relatively new thing because we're talking probably 2010 um, maybe even 2009 for that got together, talked about you know what they'd done, the challenges what worked, what didn't and we're all getting together, trying to to figure out how to use this, not entirely new technology, but you know, things were being added to make it easier or supposedly easier all the time. Um, and just figuring out how to get good information out there. Nice. August.,
3: well, you know, it's interesting how the structure of the show has changed. the The first show we envisioned and we and we did it this way, There were going to be different segments Uh, the first segment was going to be current events typically uh, political things happening in separation of state and church then we were going to have a moment of science and that was by pz myers and then we had some atheist history i forget it might have been like ingersoll i forget who it was in the first show and then all of that was in the first half hour And the second half hour was the guest the speaker and we got uh, our member christine harley got us richard dawkins For our our very first guest, and we were able to parlay that into a lot of publicity to get the show uh, up and running. Well, as it turns out, it was getting harder and harder to do those segments, and they were expanding to take up the time. So then, as Mike said, we we dropped the segments and just went to two guests, uh, one in each half hour segment. And then finally, we just kind of (laughs) had the format we do now is (laughs) one guest for the whole show. Wait, we have a format? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> and as, especially, we used to have the whole hour to ourselves. Now we, we're still paying for this time slot, and we uh, subcontractors sell the last segment to American atheists, who are uh, very nice to help us pay the bills, and you should all become members of American Atheists at Atheist.org. All
0: right. So we've got about a minute and a half. Um, what is your favorite role,
1: Mike? I think being the, um, being the interviewer was my favorite role, because that would take a little bit of the pressure off, believe it or not. Um, the, the host has to kind of watch and interrupt people at breaks and stuff like that and kind of keep an eye on the time. But when you're interviewing, you're just kind of having a conversation with somebody about something, a uh, topic that you find interesting, and hopefully you come up with questions that people in the audience would like you to ask. But that's what I enjoyed the most is being the interviewer.
2: Stephanie? For me, it's definitely been um, interviewing people who have never been interviewed before. So getting people out there who don't do a ton of media exper- or appearances and kind of getting them used to the idea that they have things to say and helping them get their message out there and – calming all of those nerves that somebody who's never been on the radio before has um yeah that part's just so i guess developing voices for me nice august we will get back to you in just a moment
0: please stay with us through the break and we'll return to atheist talk with stephanie mike and august i'm hertsy Hertz, and you're listening to am 950 ktnf the progressive voice of minnesota Welcome back to AM950 KTNF, the progressive voice of Minnesota. You're tuned in to Atheist Talk, and I'm your host, Hertzie Hertz, and I'm having a great conversation with Stephanie, Mike, and August. Before we get back, however, I want to remind everyone listening that immediately following this program, you can listen to American Atheist Viewpoint, an official production from American Atheists. Please note you can always catch American Atheist Viewpoint by subscribing to the podcast version in iTunes, Google Play Stitcher, or the podcast player of your choice. As for the here and now, if you'd like to get involved in the conversation with Stephanie, Mike, and August, you can call us at 952-946-6205, email us at radio at mnatheist.org, or tweet us at at Atheist Talk, or check out our Facebook, Atheist Talk. I also want to take a moment to thank a behind-the-scenes volunteer who has been with Atheist Talk, I think. I think since the beginning, August, you can correct me if I'm wrong on that, Um, and has been amazing to work with. And I just want to say thank you, Steve, for all of your hard work and help throughout the years. Yes. yes. So we were talking about our favorite roles and August, I'm going to butt in with mine because mine is the exact opposite of yours, Mike. I like being the host. (laughs) (laughs) I like having a nice little script I read and then, you know, I can interject every so often with a question or a funny comment, <laughs> August. How about you? What's your favorite role?
3: Well, I've never been the host. I've just, uh, been <gasps> either been interviewed or been the interviewer. The show that sticks out in my mind as one of my favorites is a special oh, no, no.
0: favorite role. Favorite role. Roll, we'll get okay. to we'll get to okay. show well, well, right in a bit. Well, um,
3: do I like to be interviewed or conduct the interview? Uh, I guess it doesn't really matter. Okay. Either, either way. All
0: right. Well. Mike, do you remember your first
1: guest? Yeah, the first first guest was actually um that uh, Beagle project show. It was uh, um uh, Karen James and I'm sorry, I forgot Peter's last name, but they were um, instrumental in uh, starting and trying to fundraise a project for the Beagle through build a replica for science and um and uh, so it was a pair <laughs> a pair of guests. They were a lot of fun. They were very good on the radio. Uh, interesting. I uh, talked to Peter from London, and Karen was uh, Karen was also in England at the time. So it was like, I don't know if that was our first overseas show, but, but it was a lot of fun.
0: Awesome. Stephanie, do you remember your first guest?
2: Well, I I've already talked about uh, talking to Bora for Science Online, but after True. that, um, I think the next person I interviewed... Was Peter Lipson, who is a doctor out of Michigan, who's been um, involved in the skeptic movement for a very long time. He used to blog as Pal MD, um, particularly with the uh, uh, the crew on the Denialist blog, and so we, I believe, talked about vaccination. Ooh. Yeah, which is. Uh, is always a little bit of a contentious topic. Pretty sure that was the first show I had a call on. And so, but, uh, you know, he's he's really good. One of the things that he does for a living is calm the fears of people. And so when he's, um, when we're talking about vaccines, we're, you know, working on parents' fears because anti-vaxxers really work to stoke those. And so... That was a really good example of one of those times when I got a call where I just kind of cringed as I listened to the call, and the guest handled it just fine, which is honestly usually the way it goes. Oh, yeah. August?
3: Well, I was on the very first show. I can't exactly remember (laughs) my role. I know I wasn't the host, and I wasn't the main interviewer. That was Christine Harley interviewed Richard Dawkins.
1: I think you talked to PZ in uh, Moment of Science.
3: Okay, but then he yeah, actually point, was point. the one who did the moment of science. I might have, like, introduced yeah. the segments, perhaps. Yeah. But so, I, did, I didn't work the controls. I've never worked. I would remember that. It would be yes. a oh. terrifying experience. And I We'd like it.
0: to make a moment to thank uh, KTNF and their awesome producers. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> we got a thumbs up from Hunter, so I guess that's good.
3: <laughs> one I thing I found is an interviewer is just make a really long list of questions, more than you can possibly, possibly think you're going to use. And you know, put them in in a priority order, and that takes away a lot of nervousness. I'm not the greatest about thinking of questions off the top of my head, so that's what's worked for me.
0: I go, I I sometimes go a little free thought, <laughs> and go well, <laughs> free listing list free. Okay, yeah, my favorite, my first one was I think Andrew Torres from opening arguments, and that was so nerve wracking because <laughs> I like his show so much. Um, how has the show evolved since since you started becoming involved with us,
1: Mike? One of the things that's really evolved is uh, um, we've broadened our topics out quite a bit. Um, I mean, in addition to the format. But um, so um, one of the things as a producer, I kind of wanted to emphasize was that this is not really a show about talking about atheism, but talking with atheists and talking about topics that atheists are. Interested in uh, things like science fiction, or comics, uh, literature, and especially science. And um, so we broadened out uh, what we bring in. It's uh, gotten, well, you know, Stephanie has really helped in bringing it out to be a lot more intersectional as far as the way that society interacts with atheism. And so I think it's it's really gotten to be a really good show as a resource for people.
0: Stephanie or August?
3: Yeah. Well, for a while, one of our major sponsors was the Humanists of Minnesota. And a lot of interviews were conducted by Scott Lohman. And one of the uh, conditions, which we happily agreed to, of having them be a major sponsor was we would have humanist topics. We wouldn't just talk about, you know, killing God. How often can you do that? <laughs> so we were broadening ourselves into secular humanism uh, by bringing them in, but that's it's a direction we were headed anyway and it's a direction we still have.
2: I think the one that really stands out for me is that we have managed to become um, less celebrity-driven over time, which I really appreciate. Um, as I said, I tried to bring in a lot of people who hadn't necessarily ever been interviewed before. Um, for me, it was a lot of activists who were working on various projects that i felt were were, you know in need of promotion um with the occasional show uh like a a holiday show where we talked about what atheists actually do or don't do for christmas that kind of thing um
0: it's kind of like the war on christmas
2: we had a couple weeks ago and and you have really taken that since you um since you've taken over and done a lot more of that kind of show where it's, it's atheists just kind of having more casual conversation with each other. Um, so I've, I've really appreciated that.
0: No, let say we, we will we'll still have a few celebrities cause there's a few like big name podcasters or at least in my circle, big name podcasters that I'm like, we need you on Marissa. I'm looking at you. <laughs> All right. So what was, what was the worst yeah, or I'm sorry. What was your favorite guest or topic? We'll go with the positive thoughts first, Mike.
1: Well, um, I I uh, kind of did this with a little bit of a motivation, and um, I had a show about Camp Quest. time there. Yeah. Part of the reason, yeah. Part of the reason was because my son was heavily involved in Camp Quest. I wanted to give him a chance to be on the radio. So we did Camp Quest, and um, it was kind of interesting because he was there talking about some of the things that go on in the cabins and stuff like that. While well, he was describing something, that was, he said, and kind of looked at me like, "Should I be talking about this in front of my dad?" <laughs>
0: <laughs> so we're actually going to have to ret- come back to answer the rest of those questions, and we'll return with our guests Stephanie, Mike, and August right after the break. Please stay with us. I'm Hertsy Hertz, and you're listening to Atheist Talk on KTNF. AM 950. Thank you for tuning in to Atheist Talk on AM 950 KTNF. I'm your host, Hertsy Hertz, and we're here having what I would classify as a fascinating conversation with Stephanie Zavan, Mike Habrick, and August Berkshire, the old crowd remembering 10 years of Atheist Talk. <laughs> I'm just feeling a little ancient. Go on. (laughs) Before we continue this conversation, which will be our final segment with Stephanie, Mike, and August, there's a bit of housekeeping I need to attend to. Atheist Talk is produced with the funding from Minnesota Atheist and Cucumbers Restaurant in Edina, Minnesota. Please consider visiting our sponsors, and if you do, let them know that you appreciate their support of Atheist Talk. If you'd like to advertise on the program and help keep us on the air, please pro- contact us at radio at mnatheist.org. I also want to note our dedicated group of volunteers and the generous donations of you, our listeners. you help keep Atheist Talk on the air and in podcast form. I also want to note our donors this week, which is George and Jim, and all the attendees at the Flying Spaghetti Monster Dinner. If you're able to help with a donation, please consider doing so at our Radio Fund page or at our Patreon at www.patreon.com slash Atheist Talk. Minnesota Atheist is a 501c3 tax-deductible organization, and we couldn't do this show without you. We deeply appreciate your support. Music for Atheist Talk is by composer and member Bernd Michael Davis and is used with permission. Please note all our opinions are of the guests and hosts only and do not necessarily reflect those of Minnesota Atheist as an organization. As always, check out the Minnesota Atheist website for podcasts of previous programs. You can browse our articles book reviews improves the calendar of upcoming events you can also sign up for the atheist weekly email awe will give you a heads up as to upcoming events and it's a great way to stay connected to the community we always have tons of activities going on all around the twin cities and the outlying suburbs if you enjoy the show and all minnesota atheist has to offer consider becoming a member of minnesota atheist while you're on the website membership has some great perks check out how on the website with all that relevant and very useful information out of the way let's get back to our conversation with stephanie mike and august
3: Thanks, Archie.
0: <laughs> ah, I'm getting better at that. <laughs> All right. So Mike, so Mike was talking about his favorite guest or topic. Stephanie, you're, you're up next.
2: I think – well, I mean I've gotten to, through the show, interview Neil deGrasse Tyson. But honestly, I, I just – I don't even remember it. I was a little nervous on that one. Oh. Um, I think the one that stands out for me um, – was the second time uh, that I've talked to Amanda Marcon on here. We usually try to schedule shows way ahead, but one of the advantages of that not always working out is that sometimes I get to talk to people about very topical things. And this was just after the um, Planned Parenthood hit videos had come out and there was a whole bunch of information still working on coming out on them and a bunch of um, reproductive rights activists who were going through and trying to get their message out. But the, the group that did it was you know, releasing videos in, in a way that was very media savvy, and so they were the ones mostly uh, getting their information forward. And so we got to sit down for an hour and go, okay, no. Here's what's going on. Here's what happened with these videos. Um, You know, here's what we know. Here's um, some information on how these things really happen. Um, And and so it was a chance to get out there and clear up some really bad political misinformation in essentially real time. And I don't get to have an effect like that all that often. So that was very cool. That is pretty awesome. August.
3: Well, I've been active in the atheist movement for about 35 years, so I probably have more of a sense of history than a lot of atheists, and the show that sticks out in my mind is we did a special Mother's Day show on the founding mothers of free thought, and I had Annie Laurie Gaylor, who published a book called uh, Women Without Superstition, which is the best bargain in atheism. It's a thick, hardcover book, $25, it remains the best bargain. Anyway, we obviously couldn't cover all the women in there, but we picked four, And uh, we discussed them for the show. And that sticks out in my mind as one of my favorites.
0: All right. And what was the worst guest or topic you had? Mike?
1: It wasn't that they were a bad person or a bad topic, but um, it was um, kind of a fill-in because, well, one of my panics was always getting the phone number wrong or something like that. And I had gotten Mike Weinstein's phone number wrong, so we tried to call him, and we didn't get through so the first segment went well. We had Steve Peterson, a volunteer great guy, who contacted um, somebody from a, a military um, atheist free, uh, group, and uh, that segment went well. But, but the second half, Cynthia Egley talked to somebody, and I don't want to name names, but it was one of those interviews where um, she was really trying to get somebody to talk, and, and the poor guy couldn't come up with anything more than just a yes or no type of answer. So... Here, poor Cynthia and I are trying to fill in the time while the guest is kind of sitting there uh, filling his (laughs) thumbs. And that that was really difficult. I think it's probably every interviewer's nightmare. All
0: right. And looks like we have a call. But we'll wait for the producer to get that. So, Stephanie, do you want to talk about...
2: Yeah, I I don't think I've had any, you know, bad... um, bad guest. Although the first time I interviewed Amanda Marcotte, I did really have to get used to the fact that she answered um, both my question and every follow-up that I had written down in about three sentences when I asked it. So um, I was scrambling at the end (laughs) to come up with stuff. And luckily we had a um, climate change denier call in and she just took him out and that was beautiful. Um, But no, the it's always the one where you have a trouble actually getting a hold of the guest. And at one point I was interviewing uh, Jessica Alquist, who was in town, um, and the folks who were bringing her had trouble finding the studio. Ooh. So I got to sit there and talk by myself for the first entire segment. Oh, man. I have no idea to this day what I talked about, but. We, we did manage it, and once she got in, it was a great show. Oh, good. Well, we're,
0: we actually have Scott Lohman on. Hey. He is uh, a host and also has been a longtime member of Atheist Talk. How are you doing, Scott? Uh, hi, guys. It's
4: uh, great to have a show. It's kinda, I was kind of shocked when I realized we'd, we'd now gotten to 10 years. It didn't seem like we have been doing it that long.
2: <laughs> no. no.
3: There was a break for about a year and a half where we didn't have the show. Really? Right, yeah. No, Still, even getting to 10 oh, wow. years
4: is impressive for a lot of things on that.
0: Wait, so I had uh, to wait a year and a half to do this? Dang it.
3: <laughs> well, it's an opportunity for another show.
0: Okay, true. Scott?
4: So the, the two things I wanted to bring up as you are asking about um, um, fun shows, I don't remember my first time. I actually think it was interviewing Susan Jacoby way back mm. when we were having her as a guest for the, uh, our annual Humanist Banquet on that. So that was kind of fun and a little nerve-wracking getting ready but the um the interesting one was the one time that I think Michael remember this we were trying to call CJ Werleman in um, yeah. he was in somewhere in the southeast um pacific and Indonesia. we were desperately yeah. trying to dial him we had to use this calling card and thing so the poor engineer had to type in like 20 phone numbers and I was watching him do that and we're coming on live and it's like okay we don't have the guest online this is going to be very interesting <laughs>
1: So Scott interviewed Scott interviewed me about a book that he hadn't even read.
4: <laughs> yep, which fortunately Mike had, so we were we were able to sound intelligent for about half the show, and then I think we we I don't know if we can't remember if we actually did get him on for part of it, or if it just never
1: connected. Yeah. No, I don't think we ever did connect. It was um, it was it was it was kind of difficult, but we we made it through, and you were professional, and then it sounded good.
0: Yeah. Was gonna
4: oh, say, yeah. So I, that was made interesting. So I just wanted to contribute those two things. I'll let you guys finish up. It's uh, it's Scott, been great you, being involved with this show, and I really enjoy it.
0: Scott, if you want to stick around, that's fine.
4: Okay, I will do that.
0: Awesome. Because I was going to say my my moment of of scariness was uh, with actually it was with Maddie Love, and she and I were going to be do, talking to Sherry. Oh, who's the artist? The musician.
2: Shelley Siegel. Shelley
0: Siegel. Thank you.
2: Our name always. Oh, worked. nice.
0: Yeah. We, well, unfortunately, there was a, a there there's some kind of hiccup with the number, and I can't remember exactly what happened. And so, Maddie, this was the first time Maddie and I had ever met in person. <laughs> so I'm looking. So we're looking at each other across the table, and we're just like, "What do we do? What do we do? What do we do?" We ended up talking about Star Wars and diversity for two halves of the show, <laughs> <laughs> or for two thirds. Um.
3: You know. I think Scott Lohman, who's on the line with us, is the only one out of all of us that had any sort of radio background at all. And it re- it really shows, I think, Scott, you're the best cold interviewer. You could have any guest, and uh, as Mike was saying, you could know nothing about the topic, but you can keep it rolling by asking really good questions off the top of your head. So I really commend you for that.
4: Oh, thanks, August. Well, it comes, my, my day job is customer service, so I'm a professional <laughs> at asking questions <laughs> on that, but... Um, yeah, that's one thing is I do, I do think about things, but so um, I've always discovered that my favorite thing is um, when I'll think about questions, so I know a number I'm going to ask, but there's is getting an answer from a question that comes up from the answer of the guest and getting the best answer of the show.
0: Yeah. All right. So my next question is going to be, how do you think the show has benefited the atheist community? Mike, you want to go first?
1: Yeah, I'd like to do that. Um, It's done a lot, especially in the Twin Cities area, but um, it's done a lot in uh, um, allowing people to know about the Minnesota Atheist as a place where uh, people in Twin Cities who might think that they're kind of by themselves as atheists to connect with a group. I know that there are a few people that started coming to atheist meetings, Uh, but it also broadens the experience that non-Atheists have with us, learning more about us, understanding us a little bit better, and realizing that um, we don't just sit around talking about nothing just because we don't believe in God, that we are fully realized and and uh, whole people. So I think it's a great benefit.
2: Stephanie? I think in addition to that, um, one of the the things that we've done really well, is, and the humanists are part of that, is Really keeping the topics broad, um, you know, we haven't um, killed God on every radio show, and we have gone beyond just talking about science, which is the first way that atheism tends to broaden out its topics. Um, so we have, you know, we've talked about the impact on culture, we've talked about the impact on politics, uh, and and so. I think we've really helped to kind of define what atheism is.
3: Well, what I really like about the show is we're not just atheists talking to ourselves. That you can be driving in your car or at home, spinning the dial, and come across a live atheist radio show. Just the general public can stumble onto us and learn more about atheism. Even uh, the Free, Freedom From Religion show, the Free Thought Today, Freedom From Religion Foundation, uh, their show's not live. Ours is live. we i don't know if we're the only live radio show, but we're one of the very few.
0: We're one of the few, but, but I think we're the only one in Minnesota.
3: And we—it's uh, interesting. People tune into us either streaming us live or podcast afterwards from all over the world. We once had a a woman a researcher in Antarctica who listened to our show.
2: We have been on all seven continents. That is awesome. <laughs> yes. Hey, Scott, can you stick on the air after the show, but I think Hertzie probably needs to take us out. Well, if he if he can do it in 39 seconds.
0: <laughs>
4: Well, the, the, the cool thing for, for me is that as a humanist, most people don't know what we are. So the great thing that with the show has been able to explain a lot about humanism. I've had a, had a number of great guests from the AHA and other humanists. And so it's been great to, uh, to get that out so people can explore more on what humanism is.
0: Awesome. Well, thank you, everybody. We, um, for those who are patient, we are going to be doing a Patreon-only segment after this. Thank you so much and have a wonderful day.
5: Hello, and welcome to the American Atheist Viewpoint. I'm Nick Fish, National Program Director for American Atheists, and thank you as always for joining us. This week, the Federal Emergency Management Agency announced that churches, for the first time, would be eligible to receive grants uh, intended to help essential uh, services, service providers uh, rebuild following um, a natural disaster. So these are grants that are intended to help uh, what are called non-critical essential government-type services. Um, organizations that provide those sorts of services. Um, So these are uh, groups like alcohol and drug treatment facilities, homeless shelters, libraries, food assistance programs, museums, um, performing arts centers, things like that. Um, Things that provide types of services that are similar to what the government would provide and are open to the general public and are available to be um, uh, and are available to the general public. Um, this is the sort of thing that um, has has really uh, taken off as a result of a mischaracterization on the part of the president and a part and on the part of uh, people who advocate for churches receiving this money. They're they're framing it by saying things like. Um, and this is a tweet from the president. Quote, churches in Texas should be entitled to reimbursement from FEMA relief funds for helping victims of Hurricane Harvey just like others, the president tweeted. That's that's the end of the quote. Um, churches are already eligible for reimbursement for um, services they provide. Um, what FEMA is doing is is changing the definition of community centers and changing the definition um, of who is eligible for these uh, for these grants, uh, and again, this isn't a reimbursement um this isn't uh, this isn't for the church who houses victims and suffers damage as a result of housing those victims or suffers expenses um, because of work that they're doing to provide disaster relief. These are grants inti- intended to help organizations uh, rebuild their facilities after a disaster, so um, sort of in recognition of service that they provide. Uh, in, in the course of their normal business. So not during the disaster. This has nothing to do with uh, reimbursement after disasters. Um, and, and what's more is they're, they're misapplying, uh, the Trinity Lutheran case. Um, the Trinity Lutheran case was about vouchers, uh, being given to churches or religious organizations, uh, to per, to, to undertake secular services or undertake some sort of project that had a nominally secular purpose what these grants uh, that FEMA is allowing churches to have access to what those grants do is they would allow the churches to rebuild things like their sanctuary to rebuild the uh, a steeple um, to refurbish um, or, or, um, or refurnish their their religious um Facilities. So, purchasing Bibles, purchasing uh, you know the shrines, purchasing um, all all the stuff that has nothing to do with providing secular services, but only uh, for religious worship purposes. Um, and and while obviously we. We we really feel bad for churches. We feel um, you know it's really too bad when something happens like this when there's an act of God, so to speak, um, that that impacts a community and impacts um, individual organizations and individual businesses. This isn't this change doesn't equalize anything. It's not that churches were being shut out of something that um, secular, uh, just generic secular organizations have access to. It's only a limited number, a limited sort of organization that had access to these grants. Um, it's not just, you know, if American Atheists um, was uh, was in, in Texas when the hurricane struck and our, our headquarters was damaged, we wouldn't be eligible for these sort of grants because we do not provide the sorts of social services that the grants are intended uh, to help support after a disaster. Uh, we would have to have flood insurance or we would have to Uh, apply for government subsidized loans, which by the way, the churches are already eligible to apply for. Um, This is in fact elevating churches um, above similarly situated organizations and giving them special access to things. Now, obviously, giving money directly to churches from the government for the purposes of building uh, religious uh, facilities. Um, This is the definition of an establishment clause violation. This is exactly the sort of thing that the founders warned us against um, and that they were strongly opposed to, uh, because what this is, is it's a direct transfer of taxpayer dollars to a religious institution for the purposes of building a church, period. Um, It has nothing to do with um, building, you know, if they have a homeless shelter, um, they would have been eligible already to, uh, to, to use federal funding to... Uh, to help to, – to reimburse for the expenses they have there. Um, what this does is take it even a step further, and they're essentially robbing uh, a fund that is supposed to help uh, per- communities provide social services um, and get those organizations back up and running as soon as possible. Um, they're robbing that fund to pay for Bibles, and to pay for altars, and to pay for um, the Torah ark, and to pay for minarets, and to pay for steeples. Um, This isn't the intent. This isn't what these things should be doing. And so um, this is something that we and many of the other atheist organizations are monitoring very closely because we need to see exactly what form this is going to take. Um, And it's of note that they're not categorizing this as a rules change uh, because changing rules requires that the government go through certain procedures – all they're doing here is interpret, reinterpreting um, an existing rule uh, and, and not actually making a new one, uh, which means they can sort of play a little more fast and loose with um, the timing of things and uh, providing for public comment and, and all that, um, which, you know, really speaks to um, the attitude that they have toward this change. Um, that this is more about, um, you know, robbing a piggy bank was the way that I think the Secular Coalition for America termed it. Um, and that's exactly what, what it is. This is a smash and grab. This is um, let's get whatever resources we can immediately um, and and do it as soon as possible uh, before anybody can challenge it. And, you know, they're, again, misapplying the ruling in Trinity, um, which was the the playground um, repaving case. Um and, and, and misapplying it and taking it taking it even further, which is exactly what we warned against um, in the uh, in the briefs that were filed um, for that case. That that this was just ripe for misinterpretation um, and for further expansion of um, churches' access to um, to money in a totally unaccountable and untransparent way. Now, the the other thing that and, and one of the reasons that I think that churches should be hesitant to want this money is that it comes with strings. It comes with um, Transparency requirements, or or it should, um, and and do churches really want to open up their books to make sure that this money is being spent in the way that it's supposed to be? Um, do we want the government to be in the position of having to tell a church that spending a um, hundred thousand dollars on an altar is a is a frivolous expense? Um, is that the decision that we want the federal government making on behalf of churches? Um, if churches want to you know spend hundred thousand dollars on an altar. Um, They have every right to do that, uh, but they have every right to do that with their money, not with our taxpayer dollars, not with the money that the government is giving them. If their donors want to support that, then their donors can give them the money to do that. you know, and there's a, certainly an argument to be made about whether or not that should be tax deductible, but, um, it, but it is, um, and they, that's a benefit they already have. What they don't have to do is report any of their numbers. They don't have to disclose their finances. And giving uh, giving a blank check to a church um, to rebuild altars um, is not something that we should be doing with disaster relief money. Um, That's all the time I have for this week. Thank you, as always, for joining us. For more information about our work, please visit www.atheists.org. Thanks so much, and Happy New Year.